You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to Rua Space on YouTube and the Rua Space podcast, where we look to make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. Now, we have just passed the midpoint of our Teresa of Avila study looking at the interior castle. So we are in the fourth dwelling place today, even though it's our fifth episode in the series. And this is where it starts. Well, I guess I got pretty deep before, but this really kind of gets into the thick of it in this it dwelling does. place. It does. Okay, so um, I'm going to be brutally honest right now and say so far for me personally, dwelling places one, two, and three, I found very relatable. Hmm. The fourth dwelling place, I think it's maybe where I've met my match. So um, I, I am learning, but don't. I guess I'm going to encourage you and say, don't feel bad if you realize that you get to the fourth dwelling place and you go, huh, how about that? (laughs) Which I don't think is bad. Um, But she even says, she says, you know what, by the end of the third dwelling place, uh, you've got people who are very devoted. They're trying to live their lives for Christ. They are drawn to God. They are Mm. serving. And that's not a bad place to be. And so what sets the fourth dwelling place apart, as far as I could tell, was it transitions. So dwelling places one through three, Teresa Vavila talks about how a lot of what comes from those places is stuff we can seek after. Mm-hmm. And she says we, we seek and strive after it. So whether it's through prayer, through meditation, through study, um, you know, through all these spiritual disciplines, we're seeking after it. And by the grace of God, God gives us experiences and um, feelings and thoughts and helps grow us and loves back on us. And so we're working and striving towards God and God returns that. And she calls those consolations, the consolations of prayer, that we work for them and then God blesses us back. Or well, and I think maybe she, that's not the, I think the she would actually way, say the but, whole time is it's all a gift from God. Even when we are yes. putting ourselves in the right position, it's... Even that in and of itself is a gift from yes. God. Okay, so I'm going to actually use her own. But we have to make the space. We do have to be intentional. So I think yes. that's kind of So that. she makes a really good analogy that I understood well. Mm-hmm. She said those those consolations that we get that we, I'm going to say achieve because that's, I'm trying to use the words I heard. I think that are gifted to us. Maybe that we, that we respond to might be the right way to put it. That yeah, it that is God a gift calls, that we, we respond, exactly. and then God returns. Exactly. That. She talks about there being um, two fountains. Yeah, next this, to is, each this other. is a foundational Okay, image. so this this is what I really well, understand. And let, let me first preface it so they understand sort of where it's going, because I want you to talk about the two water troughs. Okay. But but in this, in this chapter, just so you know where this is going, is she's really getting into more of the mystical prayer now. So she's getting a lot more now into the type of prayer that has nothing really to do with what we do, that it's purely this experience that God gifts to us. And so the second water fountain you're going to talk about is more that mystical prayer. So now let's dive into those. Okay. So there's two fountains or trowels. I'm going to use fountains because that I picture more easily. And she says one of them, it uses all kinds of aqueducts and engineering that's drawing the water from a faraway place. And so it is 
full of water. It is fruitful. But from, it, it's, from inventions and I- innovations by humans. Right. It's it's a man-made system mm-hmm. to to bring the water and draw it close so that there is a spring in the fountain. Right. And and those, can, did, were you going to go to number two? I was. Well, well let's so talk practically in. then. What she talks about is that those are um, the types of consolations we obtain through thoughts, assisting ourselves, using creatures to help our meditation. So mm-hmm. um, meditating on God's creation, right? Like Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory yes. of God. Uh, Romans talks about God's in attributes being available through what God has made. So the, that type right. of meditation. And tiring the intellect, she says. So these are the types of things where we say, God, I am going to... Um, specifically meditate on this passage of scripture or this part of your creation or whatever it might be. This is like us building the aqueduct to say, God, we may you speak to us through this thing we right. are sort of offering. Right. This we sort desire of prayer to know you that, yeah. and, and we're doing our best to come to you. So we build the and aqueduct to say, God, here's the channel, which again... And then God sends water right. through it to the fountain. Which again, it's only God's yeah. grace that allows us to build the channel even then. Right. But there's, there's more intentionality. Yes. Okay, so the second fountain, on the other hand, is from an everlasting spring that just bubbles up with no effort <laughs> and just overflows. And, and she says that one comes by no striving or work. It is purely a gift that God gives to allow you to just experience. Mm-hmm. Is that well said? Yeah. That was my understanding. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you look at the two fountains, one has the aqueducts coming to it, but the other, there's just a God-made spring that's filling this, aqua, this, this uh, trough or this fountain, and the trough or fountain is no source of human ingenuity. It's just there as a part mm-hmm. of God's creation. Now, to be fair, she also repeats a few times, it's not bad to have the aqueduct fountain. Right. So this isn't like, a, hey, strive to not have the aqueduct, strive to just have the spring. Um, that's, not, that's not how this works. In fact, the advice she gives is if you are in the third dwelling place and you desire to move to the fourth, her advice is to stop striving. Just purely focus on the glory of God. Try to not focus on your own self. And that gives you the best chance of it. But she said she can't give you a list of meditate this way, pray this way. Uh, What she does do, though, and I don't know if you are going to get into this, but she does go into different prayers that she names that come up in the fourth dwelling place. Yeah. But, but again, they are They weren't familiar and, ones to me, though. They weren't yeah. ones I've heard taught on, I should say. And, and like she said, I mean, and that may be because perhaps that hasn't been an experience yet that you've had. And that and again, that's yeah. not a critique. I mean, I, I don't know that I have had this either because most of the time I feel like in my prayer life, it is creating a space. Now, I have had experiences come up that I believe were... Um, gifts from the Holy Spirit, but Absolutely. I don't. But I don't know if it is to the level Saint Teresa talks about yet. Um, well, and to be fair too, I think one of the things that happens, at least in our cultural church, is we don't talk about mystical right, prayer often. Right. And so, if you aren't taught about something, how can you come to understand it? Or perhaps when you do come across it, you won't recognize that that's what they're talking about because you've not had a name put with it. So that's where my personal feeling is that's where the fourth dwelling place gets a little 
harder to mm-hmm. understand because it's almost when you read it, it's almost like reading a foreign language. Yeah. Because she's trying, and she goes on to say like. You can't really describe it with words because when you get to the fourth dwelling place, it's about this experience of the soul. And so she's trying to use words to describe something indescribable that our culture generally just totally ignores. So we don't share any common language to even attempt to describe the indescribable. Anyway. And I think that's the hard part about it is um, I wish again that as we get into this, it would be nice if we could give you three steps to say, if you do this, then you will experience what she's talking about. Yeah. You know, one <laughs> then of the you de- can achieve the fourth dwelling place. Right. One of the descriptions she gives is that he produces this delight with the greatest peace and quiet and sweetness in the mm-hmm. very interior part of ourselves. So basically, it is this experience of God's presence of connecting deeper with God that just comes about. Mm-hmm. And and I want to dive a little bit into what you started talking about in the not striving, um, because this is where it got really challenging. And actually, I was reading C.S. Lewis, and he talks about some very similar things mm-hmm. as Teresa did. Okay. And one of the most difficult ones is that now, as much as you cannot earn it, um, she does talk about the type of person who may have this experience. For example, I, this is one of the few quotes I wrote down. <laughs> All right. Uh, I didn't have my usual quote listage here tonight. Um, <laughs> in order to ascend to the dwelling places we desire, the most important thing is not to think much, but to love much. And, to, and so do that which best stirs you to love. Yeah. Yeah. Because and, and, I thought and, that was beautiful. I can get on board with that. It is. Do well, what stirs you to love. Yeah. And, and stop striving. What's beautiful about that is, again, she's taking this interior and saying it has this external part to it. That mm-hmm. we're not just doing this in order to separate from yeah. the world, but actually to love the world. And and I think tied to that is one of the things she says is the initial thing necessary for such favors is to love God without self-interest. Mm-hmm. And that is so hard really because... Hard. Um, you know, this sort of gets to, there was a Friends episode. If you guys, if you don't know yet, we love the TV show Friends. And there's this episode where Phoebe tells her friend Joey that there are no charitable acts that don't have self-interest. So for the whole episode, he's going about trying to help people in a way that has no self-interest to it. But he always ends up feeling good or he always ends yeah. up doing it for, you know, even though it's this He gets this a benefit. Act, yeah. Right, he gets some sort of benefit. And I think with God, it's hard for us not to say, in some way I'm doing this for self-interest that a challenge to me is to say do I love God truly because I love God I mean to me this is like loving um, like loving a baby when they first come out you love them because they're your child I mean, they are giving you something, but they're also not really giving you much because they don't do a whole lot. Um, But you love them anyway. I mean, there there are no perfect analogies, right? But to say, can we truly Mm -hmm. just love God because of God? And so she says, for example, the authentic preparation for these favors um, is, for those of us who have offended him, is the desire to suffer and imitate the Lord rather than to have spiritual delights. And so Mm -hmm. to me, that's one of the challenges to say, do we truly desire to suffer for God? Which, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about in The Problem of Pain, the idea that suffering actually shows us that our will is not in conformity with God's will. And that it's then, it feels like we're suffering then because we have to sort of take our self-interest off the table, that which is, you know, who we are, right? As humans in sin, where it's all about us. Can we actually make it about God and say, I may not receive anything back. 
Right. With the, with the key actually being you receive everything back because right. you grow into the life God created you for. That the paradox, right? Jesus is always talking about that. Like what you what you seek, you will find. Right. But it's that you have to give up and lose. Right. And a lot of what he names is what we consider most valuable. Right. Like, uh, family, money, the wealth. Exactly. The comfort. That's it. Giving up our life to lose it. So let me go into a few others. So okay. um, I wrote this big question in bold letters. Who... And how do we have such experiences? So who has the experiences and how? She says things like, um, he does so, God, to persons who are already beginning to despise the things of the world. So if we're going to make room for God, um, we, we sort of have to realize that nothing in this world can give us the happiness we desire. Nothing can fulfill our desires except God. So to sort of get rid of our self-interest to connect with God actually will give us the very thing we desire. And then okay. she says... Wait, I, I do want to just say that sounds a little close to me to Gnosticism, right? That's where you, you say... Yeah, we're but not it, we're not wanting the things of this world, and so I yeah. just want to say yeah. that in her life and in her other teachings, she she does not appear to promote no. Gnosticism. So in even no though she's way. saying despise the things of this world, I think what she's intending is they don't they don't hold your most precious, meaningful right. experiences right. and things. And you know, like if you if you try simplifying, for example. Right. What do you feel you have to hold on to? Yeah. That sort of thing. Well, and the idea, again, that, um, okay, yes, I love you, God, but my happiness is in my career. Or, God, I did this, now I expect mm -hmm. that I will be financially cared for, or I will have a big house. Or whatever. She's saying despise in the sense of none of those things will fulfill you. Even though they're good things, right. they need their proper place. And so she says, what we must do is beg like the needy poor before a rich and great emperor and then lower our eyes and wait with humility. Mm -hmm. And that we must be mindful of God's honor and glory and forget ourselves and our own profit and comfort and delight. So that again, was, that was my one yeah, remaining see, quote. <laughs> and, and just again, it's not that we won't be comforted or we won't be delighted or we won't profit. We will. But you're not seeking that for yourself. Right. You're it, entrusting yourself right. over to God. Mm -hmm. And allowing him to just take care of all exactly. of that. Exactly. So, it, so it's, again, it's this counterintuitive idea of when you lose your life, you gain it. And when you try to hold on to it and use God as the vending machine to sort of get you there, you're, it's it's going to fail. And so... And it's I, perhaps going to limit you yeah. from the potential of exactly. reaching this level of mystical prayer. Exactly. So okay. friends... While we cannot give you the exact roadmap, and neither can St. Teresa of Avila, which she yeah. says over and over, um, yeah. it does start with humility, and it starts with saying, can we truly grow to love God for God's sake alone, mm. simply for the relationship? Can we sort of turn our will truly over to God's, which will cause suffering, C.S. Lewis would even say, but a suffering that actually brings about life and delight and wholeness. So our prayer for you, friends, as you explore your dwelling places, may you continue to make space for God in your life, but may you also open yourself up to respond when God may bring about this type of prayer that is unexpected, that we cannot bring about by work, but is truly a gift from God. Thanks for joining us, friends. If you enjoyed this video, please subscribe below. And if you're on the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple iTunes. We appreciate you guys. Until next week, grace and peace be with you.